May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It sounds like such a simple request that these Greeks make to Jesus' disciples. After all, Jesus has been on the road meeting and touching and healing all sorts of people. And this morning's gospel reading is coming on the heels of the raising of Lazarus and the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So it's certain that people are talking about this Jesus fellow. And so it makes sense that even the Greeks, even the people that don't speak Hebrew, even the people that aren't Romans, these foreigners would be asking to see Jesus. This request that they make, sir, we wish to see Jesus, is sometimes used when we teach people about preaching, right? We tell them that this is always the question that a sermon is designed to answer or to do. It's the only goal is when we stand up here to preach is that we are answering perhaps the unspoken request of the people gathered to simply see Jesus. But rather like preaching from week to week, within this story, things get complicated and are not as simple as maybe they first appear. When the Greeks come and make this request, they aren't immediately put in the queue for the line to see Jesus. Instead, Philip takes this request and goes to Andrew and says, hey, Andrew, we got these Greek guys. They want to see Jesus. And Andrew says, well, come on and let's go talk to Jesus and see what he has to say. And so they walk up to Jesus and they say, hey, there's these two guys that want to see you. And they probably expect Jesus to respond in some sort of way that usually means that the wrong sort of folks get to meet him and the right sort of folks don't get to meet him. And Greeks seem to be the wrong sort of folks. And so Philip and Andrew are probably expecting that Jesus is going to say, bring them on in. But instead, instead of saying, bring them in, Jesus says the words that the disciples have been hoping would never be said. All of this time when Jesus has been talking about going to Jerusalem and talking about this death that he has to go through, he has always said, but the hour has not come yet. And his disciples keep following and keep hoping that that will always be the sort of asterisk at the end of the sentence when Jesus talks about that he must suffer and die, that he will say, but the hour has not come yet. But the simple request for some, from some Greeks, sir, we wish to see Jesus, has now led them to the point where they hear the words that as his disciples and as his friends they never wanted to hear because Jesus now turns and says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. All this time, hoping that these words were never come, Philip and Andrew and the other disciples are suddenly confronted with the reality of what Jesus has been talking about. And they hear again, the hour has now come. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And to make it plain that this was the real deal, that Jesus just wasn't talking about some other somebody someplace else, all of a sudden in the Gospel of John, for the first time, the voice of God the Father breaks through into the world and is heard in an answer to Jesus' prayer, Father, glorify your name. God the Father answers, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Even though Jesus says that God the Father has spoken at this moment for the benefit of the crowd, the crowd misses the point and thinks it's thunder or maybe an angel. In this sense, the crowd not understanding or appreciating the source of the sound and the message from God the Father is just the first of many misunderstandings that Christians have had and will probably continue to have about the hour of Christ's suffering and death. Amen. And so it's fitting and right that as we move ever closer to Holy Week, and to Good Friday, and to Holy Saturday, and to finally the joy of Easter, that we pause and bring the cross really into focus and into view, and to take a moment to think about what is happening, and to do it now while we're still a little bit off and not in the midst of the passion story that's coming should probably come as no surprises that no surprise that Christians have not universally agreed upon one description or explanation of what happened when Jesus died on the cross and how that atonement actually occurred if you stop and think about some of our big Christian ideas like the Trinity and things like that, you know that Christians are really good at coming up with different ideas and explanations about these things that are truly holy mysteries of God. And so, of course, when it comes to the cross, we don't have an agreement other than that we know that the cross is absolutely necessary to our salvation. We know that the cross has to be there. But after that, things get a bit more complicated. At times, as Christians, we're tempted to make the cross too small. 
right? We make it about our own personal Jesus that's there dying and atoning for individual sins that may be small, petty little sins or maybe big sins, but we take the cross of Christ and make it all about us. Sometimes we zoom out too far and we make the cross too big and we talk about some general undefined notion of saving of all creation and we take our individual sin and we let it get diluted and mixed up in sort of this general sense that humanity hasn't quite done what it was supposed to do. We forget the fact that we got skin in the game, and we just sort of let the cross be everybody else's problem. A particularly popular view, particularly in the 20th century, is to zero in not so much on the cross and what's going on, but to zero in and focus on the blood and the sweat and the violence and see Jesus as a substitution standing in the way of a vengeful and angry God that wants to punish and destroy us. When we do that, we're kind of like that crowd standing there hearing the voice of God but dismissing it as thunder. We've spent most of our Sundays during Lent in one way or another talking about covenants. We've talked about how covenants are different than contracts. We've talked about covenants as being this heart of relationship between us and God. And we have seen through our readings each Sunday how God has again and again sought his chosen people sought to be in relationship. And we have given thanks that these covenants have been built on God's faithfulness and unending love and not dependent on our own strength and faith. Because we know we have to admit that within our sinfulness as individuals and within our sinfulness as a culture in society, we have continued to break our covenants with God again and again, but God just keeps seeking us out. Our reading from the prophet Jeremiah this morning, Jeremiah is speaking to the Hebrew people when they are in exile in Babylon yet again because they broke and were unfaithful in their relationship with God. And at this time, this is before Pentecost, so the Spirit of the Lord came on one person, and that prophet was the voice of God. And so into Israel's exile, Jeremiah comes and says, speaking on behalf of God, this is the covenant that I, the Lord your God, will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. Well, not, I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is not 
a vengeful, angry God that demands the shedding of blood to quench his anger. This is a God that seeks love and repentance and offers grace and forgiveness. So to understand the cross and to understand what is to come, we got to stop and listen to what Jesus is telling us with his own mouth what it means. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Judgment has come. Just like when we talked about John 3, that it's time to make a choice. You're either going to be in the dark or you're going to come into the light. The world that Jesus is talking about here is not just the created world of stuff and matter and flesh, but is probably better translated as a system or a culture. Jesus has brought judgment on a system of humans that rejects God and accepts sin as being the ruler of the day. A system that deals in wealth and greed, power and war, anger and death. Jesus brings judgment to that world and says that ruler is driven out. But how? How does this happen? What does the cross have to do with it? Brothers and sisters, when you look at the cross, it is right for you to recall the suffering and anguish of Christ there on that Good Friday. When you consider the wounds and the bruises, when you think of the agony and the sweat and the blood, when you consider this, make sure that you're real clear, that you understand that what you are seeing there, all of that violence is not the language of God, but is the language of the world and the ruler that God has cast out. God's language what you should look for and hear in the cross and in Christ's last days is obedience. It's the love of the son for the father. It's the love of the son for his mother and for his friends. It's of humble service at table and washing feet. It is peace and nonviolence in the face of death and suffering. It is Christ's words of forgiveness from the cross. That is the language of God that we hear when we consider the cross. It's through our obedience, our love, our rejection of systems of injustice and greed and death that we come again and meet the question of those two Greek guys, Sir, we want to see Jesus. When we hear that, we invite them to step away from the world's forces of destruction and chaos 
a world that the answer to violence is just more violence, and we say, come and see the followers of Christ who are called upon to show Jesus to the world, not through our might and power, but through our service and love. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, and the lowest of the low, and the darkest of the dark, and the suffering and the pain of this world, where I am, where Christ has gone, there my servants will be also. Amen. Amen.